Welcome back to the show. We're about to learn the secret sauce. Excellent. Gregor, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming over. Uh, you're like one of the, the few engineers I knew that were in LA. Uh, you've been here for a while. Um, we moved here in 2016. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, what is time? But yeah, yeah, we left the city for two years during COVID because of our kids. But yeah, it's it's been a while. And yeah. there are plenty of developers here. You have to come around. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm making my rounds. We had a, a, quite a few people come through since we've been here. And the beauty about this podcast is you have no idea what location we're on because it's just a white wall. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. But rather than talk behind the behind the secret sauce, let's talk about you. And we usually start with an intro. Just tell the audience, who, who are you and what do you do? So, hey, I'm Gregor. I'm a, a staff software engineer at GitHub. Right now, um, I work remotely my whole life and only for the past year as an employee before that um, independently as a you know founder and contractor. Um, and I care very deeply about open source, which is why I care about GitHub, which is why I guess I ended up there. Yeah. And I'm yeah happy to talk more about that. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. So I, I would love to know, like talk of how you got to where you are today. So like we can zoom back 10 years ago. I don't know if 10 years is a good point, yeah. uh, but you, how did you get involved in open source just in general? Um, I, let's go back to like 2011-ish, I think, is when I started to get more involved into open source. I kind of just ended up in another job and I wanted to see what is out there. Um, and I was, I am a web developer. Um, I kind of looked, okay, what are like the new APIs and there was local storage and cache manifest. So, Hey, we can build like offline apps in the browser now, um, that I found really fascinating. And I built like minutes IO, this little, like a meeting, uh, application. Oh, I don't think I've, I've heard of that one. Minutes IO, it's still running. I hired right. my mom, you know, it's paying her. Um, <laughs> uh, so I might. Get back to it eventually. Oh, it's uh, just like kind of on the shelf because running. It's like in you know, it's like a little software as a service. Um, I don't have the time right now to like invest more into it. Um, yeah. But it might still happen. But what happened is that I needed a database for it because in the beginning it worked offline, but eventually people wanted accounts. They just yeah. don't want, didn't want to lose all their data when they, you know, uh, cleared the browser's cache. Yeah. And the moment you you have an offline app which synchronizes, then you have the problem of synchronization. So I started out as a Rails app with a Rails backend with Postgres, and then I looked for a database system that would fit. And that was CouchDB. Like CouchDB is a database that replicates, it's basically built around very, very good peer-to-peer um, -peer synchronization. So I found that um, and it got me pretty far, but there were like some things missing. So I filled in the gaps with Node.js, with a Node.js middleware to create like a signup flow and, you know, user authentication, authorization, data sharing and stuff like that. And I went to a CouchCon first in San Francisco, like that was summer 2013, I think, or 11. No, that was 11. Um, we lived there for a short moment and then in Berlin, where I met uh, Jan Leonard, like the, uh, I think it's the product manager still of Co Apache CouchDB. Um, and he loved my setup of CouchDB in minutes. And he said, like, this is exactly what we were missing and we should make this a thing. So together we created a project that eventually became Hoodie. 
okay. which is a JavaScript database backend. Wow, I didn't I didn't know that that correlation to the story of Hoodie, which is amazing. That you, okay, so you built this offline experience for no developers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So basically, we we extracted the backend part, um, including like you know the frontend client from Minutes.io, and turned it into its own open source project. And I didn't know anything about open source, but Jan was already very involved, both in open source through Apache, but also in just the JavaScript community. Like he, um, around the time, created JSConf EU with with some of, of his friends. And that, as we know, is like a very yeah. great success story in terms of community organized um, events that are very inclusive, that care very deeply um, about everyone involved. So he applied the learnings of that into Hoodie. So Hoodie in 2011 or 12, um, from the get-go, we put a lot of priority into creating an inclusive space as an open source project. So we had like a code of conduct right away which at that time was just not a thing like you know the discussions only started to happen and there was a lot of friction about it as we started to add in code of conduct into different tech communities um and yeah so Wait, through is that, that is that why the jsconf eu code of conduct is like the one everyone uses <clears throat> i don't know if that's the case but i think it was for a long time yeah i mean yeah, I, they, our open sources code of conduct yeah was sourced from the js coffee you yeah because like back in 2018 it was like the one that everyone cited as like the example yeah and uh okay so the connection is really making sense for me right now yeah so you know through that we also were kind of very involved in the javascript community already um and we found a few more, you know, people around us who kind of joined Hoodie and we kind of hacked away with it. And eventually we came uh, to the point where we had to figure out uh, funding. Like, how do we fund an open source project? And 10 years later, it got much better, um, yeah. but it's still not an unsolved problem. But basically, our path was to create a company. So we founded Neighborhoodie, which still exists today in Berlin. You know, they... they they're still amazing about building solutions around offline first um, environments. Um, and we founded it with basically the core team of, of Hoodie. So we tried to do like, you know, contracting work and, um, and have some income. And at the same time, use that revenue to build out um, Hoodie further as an open source project. Excellent. Yeah. And it was, um, I, I could see the branding in my head and it had like the dog with the hoodie on. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, it has amazing branding. And the open source project, I think, had very big reach, not because of its technology at all. Like yeah. we, from the beginning, um, you know, we had a great um, kind of project product manager and content creator, Lena Reinhardt, you know, who really made a great career in tech. Um, and then because of her and uh, also others um you know whom we then invited and also paid to like create these little cute dogs like the low profile dog they all have their names and stories and everything um which also was very intentional like was created because this is how we wanted people to feel that yeah. they are coming to this space and they're not like developers and then the others you know there's like the dog's dog's chicken and and there is like the low-profile dog, and oh my God, I know what else was there, but it was intentional about everyone is welcome and creating 
pathways for all kinds of different contributions and making clear that it's not developers and like coders and non-coding contributions it's that like it's on the, it's on i height like it's yeah. developers designers content creators and so on yeah everything making everything equally important um so i like took away a lot from that throughout my entire career yeah i mean there are quite a few projects who i could cite success on just by their sheer brand and their their experience in the industry or as you onboard onto the project like there's an experience like it's welcoming or there's a there's a, a low profile dog or <laughs> a sticker that you you found at a conference and at the end of the day like i think i don't know if this is your opinion but i my opinion is that open source the successful projects tend to have a bit more marketing and if it's not intentional marketing it's the engineering like it markets itself mm -hmm. because it show it shows up in a place that people want to talk about it and um where offline applications back in uh 2011 to 2015 like maybe not a thing that everyone was interested in or needed at the time people got they were attracted to that to the stickers yeah and the dog and etc and there are a lot of people who want to contribute to open source you just have to go where they are and find them yeah. you know and when you're an open source project you have an interesting technology project like there's opensourcedesign.org, I think still, and yeah. I'm sure a lot of right. our communities. Aero, Aero Fox runs that, I believe, or is uh, that the different program? I don't know, yeah. um, but you know, invite these people to your project, uh, yeah. make it nice for them to be there, um, make them feel appreciated. Um, or if you have funding, you know, as a company, yes, yeah, sure, pay the people. Um, but there is a lot of people who would like to get involved in open source as a means to grow personally, to like meet other people outside of their work um, and other circles, build out their portfolio. You know, there are many reasons for it. And uh, by making it more inclusive to contributors other than coders, you just can tap a whole new world um, of people and perspectives. Um, and when you, you know, manage to make them excited about your mission, what you're trying to achieve, you will have a much bigger reach. Yeah. I don't know, it's just a lot more fun, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, the hoodie, hoodie started in Berlin at the yeah. first? Yeah, like, I would say so. I think I, I lived in Zurich um, at the time. Uh, my wife, she did her PhD, but kind of Berlin was the rest of the people. And I would, you know, take the train. Yeah. every now and then from Zurich to Berlin and back. Um, so if you wanted to meet in person, but definitely Berlin was the headquarter and still is for for Neighborhood Eater Company. Okay. And then well, the fascinating thing is like the amount of projects that came out of Neighborhoody. So you had mentioned in passing your your experience with Greenkeeper. And, yeah. the, and then you're like, oh yeah, it also came out of Hoodie. So talk about like, as you were approaching the problem, you, you, you guys built a company uh, and then you had to build other things to then make the company make sense. Yeah. Um, well, these are maybe two different things, but what happened with Hoodie, once we kind of figure out what the whole system is, like this backend, um, offline first and backend, um, it was a mess in terms of code. It was very hard to understand, to maintain, and so on. So we had to clean it up. And we were thinking, okay, how can we make this as contributor friendly as possible and one solution we came up with is we have to decompose it into smaller modules so yeah. out of a one big repository we maybe at the end had like 12 or 15 
But then the people who only cared about the front-end SDK, they had like one repository which only had the code for it and it had its dedicated readme, its dedicated testing. It was a much simpler setup. You didn't need any couch to be and stuff like that. However, by optimizing for contributors, um, we really increased the burden of maintenance. Yeah. Because now you have these different repositories and you make a release here and then you need to update the other repositories and then another, it's like three to four layers. So we, uh, at the time of the company, um, had interns, actually. That was uh, Stefan Böhnemann, um, who... Oh, from Contentful and... Yeah. Is that the same Stefan I'm thinking of? He's in Contentful? Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Oh, yeah, he worked at Contentful, I think. Yeah, uh, he works at another startup now. But See, uh, yeah, so he was one of the people working at uh, at Neighborhoodie, and I think that he was basically the person with, I'm sorry, I'm lacking on the other name. We had another intern, and they together um, created both Semantic Release and Greenkeeper, like its initial versions, um, out of the need of how can we have these separate repositories um, f in order to be contributor friendly, but at the same time lower the barrier um, for of maintenance overhead. And this are until this day, I would say the most important things is like release automation and dependency updates. And Greenkeeper and Semantic Release were exactly this solution and, and evolved greatly since then. I mean, Greenkeeper, you know, rest in peace. Uh, is, is yeah, no, did it officially no, shut down? Yeah, it officially shut down and got acquired by Snike. Okay. Sneak? Snike? I, I say sneak, but they say Snike. Yeah. So we'll say Snike. Okay. We say both so people will know what we mean. <laughs> um, yeah, but since then, you know, like basically uh, GitHub came out with their built-in dependent bot yeah. solution. Um, so that was kind of, you know, it. And Semantic Release is still out there and thriving. And I'm uh, like one of the maintainers uh, of semantic release. It's interesting that Greenkeeper, though, had, was it clear that Greenkeeper had a paid opportunity in semantic release then? Yeah, um, I think because there was it's still, you know, info depend about like the security aspect of it. Yeah. So we created like an enterprise version of Greenkeeper, which not only work with the public NPM registry, but also with public uh, private packages and private registries and yeah. so on. So there was a different avenue for semantic release. I don't know if we really considered it. We could only do so much at once. Yeah. So we tried Greenkeeper kind of as a service, uh, you know, couch to be um, support was one thing. And then we just worked on on different projects uh, as the company. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was this sort of makeup of what Hoodie ended up outside of the offline application, the tooling part. Yeah. Greenkeeper, semantic release, and then some CouchDB support. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly... That was basically that I think came out of of hoodie. Yeah. And did hoodie ever take VC funding or anything like that? It was just always. No. I mean, we also had like a very anti anti VC stand. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we really liked the German Mittelstand. Um. And we wanted. <laughs> what is be, the uh? What is that? Okay, German Mittelstand. <laughs> Um, is basically family-owned companies, which are like the middle tier of camp of you know of companies. Oh. Some of them are big. Some of them have like thousand employees, but where the owners of the company, you know, maybe own this company over generations, and they care deeply about not only the company but also their employees, the society around them. And this is something that existed uh, in a German society over a long, long time. Like apprenticeships, you know, is a very big thing 
in Germany. Um, it's part of the system. It's into you know connected with schools and so on. Um, and yeah, it has been around for for a very long time in Germany. And we said like this is what we wanted to you know yeah, yeah we want to do high tech stuff, but we want to be very accountable towards. Um, our people and the people around us and this is okay. the right path for us so we try to you know self-fund it yeah okay that makes sense uh i was have you seen the movie air yet no yeah air is uh basically about uh michael jordan getting in the shoe deal and uh, the guys at nike basically trying to get him to sign instead of signing the adidas basically mm -hmm. and at that point was when i guess the family had all the siblings had taken over or i'm not sure who they all were but uh, that was like one of the reasons why MJ didn't go to Adidas is because there was like no clear leadership. It mm -hmm. was like the entire family had their own thing, no proper CEO. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I imagine there was like way more nuance to that story that yeah. connects with the ger ger German Mittelsteins. <laughs> Mittelstand, like middle is like the middle and you know, Stand is the stand. So okay. it's kind of like the... I don't know how you call it in English. You know, there's like small business and there are like the huge corporations. Oh, so yeah. Small, so medium business. Medium business, I would say. But also in particular, many of them are family owned. Okay. And that is an important aspect of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So I mean, what, what happened? I, we know what happened to Hoodie. Like now it's, it's still yeah. chugging along and doing stuff. Uh, and we know what happened to Greenkeeper. So what happened to Gregor? Like, <laughs> you don't work there anymore. So, um, yeah, I worked um, basically independently and remotely my whole career since like 2002 or something. Um, and that permitted me to move around with my wife as she made her career. Um, and she was in, uh, you know, in Zurich, which was close-ish enough to Berlin. She did her PhD. And after that, we went to the East Coast, to Boston, Cambridge. And, you know, I was just able to move with her. But I was one of the founders of the company, Neighborhoodie, and it kind of like, uh, you know, now we had like a six hours time difference with the East Coast, which already made it hard. And then after a year, we moved to, uh, to the West Coast. And yeah. that is nine hours. And like, we re like, it just didn't work out, not in the way I wanted to be involved. Yeah. Um, but before, I think even before, I moved to the West Coast, um, Brandon Keepers kind of approached yeah. us or approached me saying like, hey, you know, I want to build out this OctoKit program and we want to, that we want to do it with these different SDKs is we want to hire like maintainers for like the top 10 to 20 language ecosystems. We want to start with JavaScript and I think you would be perfect. And I said, sure, you know, in the beginning I started it out as part of Neighborhoodie, but then um, as we split, I basically took over um, Octokit uh, to myself and work as a 1099 contractor um, and did some other gigs as well. But then 2018, you know, uh, my, my triplets. Uh, <laughs> oh, arrived. I was going to say Microsoft <laughs> took over, but uh, yeah, that you too. Had kids too as well. So yeah, I kind of started Octokit in like 2017-ish, which you know, I mean, it's not only the, the kids arrived in July, but because it was a triplet preg uh, pregnancy, it was, you know, it was complicated. Um, so like during the pregnancy already, like that was like my biggest priority, of course. Um, and by the time they arrived, uh, I, I was glad to, to be able to just say, well, I just will work half time now um, and uh, be available for my family and do mostly Octokit uh, on the other half, but also be very independent 
um, that was just a perfect work setup for me. And it was great because I could continue to work on open source and a lot of more work or more open source projects uh, came out of that time and me working yeah. on Octokit mostly because it's basically, you know, a wrapper around GitHub's platform APIs. And if you're an open source maintainer, you're most likely on GitHub. And if you want to automate your chores, you will need to interact with GitHub APIs. So it was perfect for me because I knew through the Octokit work exactly what was possible and how. And I could basically build the tooling or like the underlying fundamentals that I would need to then automate more stuff with my open source work. Yeah. So that I could keep maintaining stuff. Yeah, this makes so much sense now that I have like all the threads for me and in your story. And also one note, Brandon Keeper's longtime engineer at GitHub. He was acquired through another acquisition and then was early GitHub acquired company employee. Mm-hmm. Now sailing boats. I don't know what is Brandon doing nowadays. Yeah, he's uh, it's Captain um, Captain Brandon Keepers Brandon? now. And Captain uh, Keepers. Yeah, he's sailing. Uh, yeah, sailing the seas and building software for you know sailboats. I think. Shout out to Brandon. Uh, <laughs> thank amazing. you for everything you did. And I'm still jealous of your title, director of open source at GitHub. I think it's just the coolest title ever. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he honestly, he had a, such a great team. The team that actually was hired into mm-hmm. was like uh, a portion of that team with Nadia and and Mike uh, as well and John Britton. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so John absorbed some folks from Brandon and then post-acquisition, Brandon decided to go set sales um, literally after an acquisition, a lot of people sail off in the sunset <laughs> figuratively, but like he literally did it. Yeah. Uh, he, he, uh, for them. big in the, big in the sailboats. Yeah. Um, but it's, it can't be understated that the Octokit ecosystem is pretty nice. Like you, I didn't realize it was 2017. I felt like it was just there forever. Uh, but by the time I started using it in 2017, I felt like, oh wow. Yeah. Cause at the time previous to that, I worked at Netlify. And we had our own SDK file, like it was this basically called github.js or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we built a bunch of wrappers around the API. And that's how Netlify worked for years. And I don't know if they switched to Octokit, but when I got to GitHub and saw Octokit, I'm like, why was I not using this thing? This thing is so much better. <laughs> they and, better switch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the thing is like, even the one thing I always like kind of blew me away is like how you kept up to date with the API changes. Uh, do you want to explain that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, first of all, Octokit was there before I came. It yeah. was just a Ruby yes. Octokit yeah, Octi- and I think yeah. .NET. Um, and then I came in with JavaScript and we kind of took the project that had the most stars, you know, which is not always the best idea, but it is what it is. So we adopted like the GitHub package, I think, um, and started from that. And eventually, similarly, you know, yet on, on one episode, um, from Next.js where you explain like we basically, you know, uh, took the plane apart and put it together on flight. And that's what we did with yeah. Octokit as well. Like eventually the original package was like 20,000 lines or something. And we took it apart and put it together with very little friction. And now it's just like 10 lines of code, which just composes the different modules that can now be used separately. And for me, working on this myself and also being kind of the trailblazer, like, you know, I was hired not only to create the Octokit JavaScript, but also with the prospect of, yeah, there will be 20 more people coming after me. So all the shared problem that um, I 
uh, that I thought yeah would be useful for other maintainers as well. I try to solve in a way that is not only um, relevant to JavaScript but also to the other systems. And what I did is I created a crawler that would go through the documentation of the REST API of GitHub every night and would extract machine-readable, you know, data of it, like some yeah. custom-made uh, JSON, which eventually we turned into an open API um, compatible specification. Um, and then having that as a kind of, you know, a separate project, which others could use as well, and then use that in order to generate um, the JavaScript Octocad. And this is how I could, you know, keep up to date very, very quickly. As long as the docs were up to date, the SDKs were up to date. This was like an important problem. And yeah, and eventually um, GitHub adopted the OpenAPI specification, um, made it much better and started generating even the docs out of the OpenAPI specification. Yeah. So these things I got even closer and I no longer had to like maintain this uh, crawler, you know? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, like <laughs> you def if you if you maintain docs or you have your own OpenAI spec, like definitely take a look at this this work because it inspired so much more work that I even did because like I I got to benefit being doing DevRel at GitHub. A lot of the work you did, like to put together a quick little demo, um, like the the webhook tool, OctaKit webhook. Yeah. Like we built Twitch integrations on top of that. And it was made so trivial that anybody watching our Twitch stream could be like, oh, yeah, I can clone this and get started really quickly. And like having all the pieces like sort of composable makes it a very interesting story to like now teach integrators GitHub, which was like my first role at GitHub was marketplace integrations. Like, how do you build the story to get people to do that? Yeah. Uh, and then GitHub Actions came along and that became my focus. But then I'm curious, like, and from your purview where you were at doing OctaKit, like GitHub Actions kind of changed the game about GitHub integration. So like, did you, were you part of those conversations or were you just sort of chugging along on the side? No, I chugged along on the side. You know, yeah. at this time I had other priorities, um, but I loved it. Like for me, I'm not a DevOps person, like yeah. running my own servers. Like thank God, you know, for Netlify and Neversals that just Heroku before that enabled someone like me build out their um, stuff out there. But with actions, it made it so simple. Like putting like a YAML file in a folder of my repository and suddenly I could like run code. Yeah. That changed the game. It changed the game of open source maintenance as well. Definitely. But it was, it's not the end of of apps, you know, like an, a GitHub application is just a means of authentication. It's not like it's, it's kind of confusing because people call GitHub app both the thing you register on github.com and yeah. then you get your app ID and and uh, private key back and like webhook secret. Um, yeah. These are just credentials. And then people call GitHub app also some kind of server that you're running that receives webhooks. Yeah. But you don't need that part. So yeah. technically, you can run GitHub apps from GitHub Actions. Yeah, which is confusing, but you have very which interesting we do. Use we cases. do at open source, thanks to you actually showing it to me. So as a GitHub employee, when I was building open source, mm -hmm. like you were just blowing my my brain. <laughs> Every time we chat, it'd be like, oh yeah, you could do this, and then like our entire indexer. So anything open source actions that that repo, like was our original conversations around running a GitHub right. app uh, on GitHub Actions, and then any installed GitHub app we can then crawl to do updates, which makes a lot of sense and a lot of tooling you had built, but also I'd seen a lot of people do like 
randomly like send an open an issue on a repo that you had to install an app and I didn't know you could do that stuff. And like, once you really dig in, which honestly, we take a step back, like you mentioned Brandon and ProBot, uh, but we didn't really talk about the idea of GitHub apps as well, which is like a, it was a big change for GitHub yeah. uh, to like unveil and, and roll out these, these applications. So like, were you after apps were shipped? Uh, no, I came just around the same time. Okay. So uh, ProBot was created when GitHub apps were announced. And that was mostly Brandon Keepers, um, Jason Etko, you know, who's still, yeah. uh, who's still with us. Um, and a few other people who uh, worked on ProBot as a means to create like a framework to build GitHub apps. And only slowly after that, I came from the OctoKit side because I was busy with building crawlers and whatnot. Um, to then, again, like replace the foundation of ProBot step-by-step step with actually OctoKit to the point where ProBot is just like an opinionated composition of OctoKit components, which is exactly the way it should be so that you have an opinionated framework. You can build a GitHub app with just a few lines of code, but when you outgrow a framework's scope, you should be able to eject the framework and then use the underlying yeah. tooling, and that is what what we made um impossible now yeah yeah this is <laughs> yeah, maybe i'm way more excited about this conversation maybe even our <laughs> listeners but like there's a lot of folks who i i helps help support in these conversations and like a lot of startups who were like we want to build this thing how do we build this interaction Superbase being one of them mm -hmm. like early days they wanted to build a, an ecosystem where you can just authenticate with github and have interactions and build an entire database on top of it and a lot of that knowledge I was able to like unveil to these folks was through our, a lot of our interactions and a lot of ProBot interactions. So like Bex being one of the members of the team that uh, intern, but also helped support ProBot at the time, Jason Ecto as yeah. well, being another person I always had their ear asking questions. And um, yeah, even a few other folks, like it seemed like at the time, like the GitHub interns, like Mark Terashati as well. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm thinking about... Uh, the other guy who does a the Slack integration. Oh yeah, uh, Wilhelm. Yeah, well, Kopp, yeah. And there was Bex too. Yeah, Bex is, I think they are at, at Twilio now. Yeah, oh, these are all amazing. And Nathaniel people. as well, D twelve. Yeah, this um, yeah, is still. It was like a lot of energy around the GitHub apps, and then Microsoft acquired us, and then everything sort of like <laughs> <laughs> ellipse, like this sort of TD. Like we'll figure out what happens next. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I do see a bit of a resurgence in the the GitHub app space as you see more and more startups sort of like try to do their sort of interaction with the github because yeah github's an interesting place where it's just everyone uses it i wanna i always wanted github to be a backend for open source communities it yeah. kind of makes sense and it's not only about release automation and dependency you know automation it was it brings all these fascinating things like um the entire flow of pull requests where you can set rules of yeah. who has to review what. But now imagine you can build a custom UI that is specific to content creators. You're like, you know, writing a blog post or something. And yes, there are like other tools that you can use for that. Yeah. But I would really like to build more very thin um, wrappers around just GitHub where yes, you log in with your GitHub account and then you don't need to go through like the pull request UI and the github.com UI. Instead of you have a UI that is perfectly tailored to where you're coming from, you have a great, you know, maybe collaborative editing experience. And when you're done, you submit it. And 
in the backend, it's using all branch protection rules and pull requests. This is where the developers are at home and they love that. But for you know content creators, they will have an entire different experience. Or for example, I built like a Hacker News clone, like Octonews, you know, that is basically um, just another path to contribute to an open source community. Like sharing resources that are relevant to your community, that is a great way to yeah. have a very low bar means of contribution. I wanted to build it where, where GitHub is basically the backend and you just have a small custom UI where you submit links but in the you know yeah. behind it it's just basically pull request flows and reactions well, and whatnot yeah you, I mean you know this about open source our original backend <laughs> was the repository like everyone gets a new repository as a new open source user uh, we've since moved away from this because uh it, yeah well we we didn't hit scaling issues but like we definitely had like a lot of chewing gum and, and duct tape to to make it work and Honestly, I wouldn't mind rebuilding it from the ground up because, yeah, we just had a lot of like since 2017, it it worked sort of. Engineers always want to rebuild. You know? Yeah, it's tempting. Yeah, but yeah, and you bring up an interesting point because I think this is the biggest point of friction. As soon as you need some kind of stateful integration, yeah, it becomes complicated. And I wish like GitHub would provide some kind of minimalistic key value store like very very simple then we would need all these different hacks like injecting html comments into you know yeah. uh, uh, issues yeah. and comments and stuff like that to keep some kind of state just because we don't want to maintain our own database yeah i, I mean, wish the, we could solve that's that's that, what you know honestly <laughs> used to work at github yeah the, the, the github just is like that's like everyone's sort of stateful data management where yeah. you get a one-off gist and funny enough, like for the longest time, Netlify's um, streaming logs were printing to a GitHub gist. Huh. And um, <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of you know. get a lot of uh, persistent. I don't know how long they left that up, uh, but yeah. when I left in 2018, we still used that. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a ton yeah. of other tools you could use instead. Or like I wish there would be more investment in Probot and kind of turn it into a service, you know, yeah. which is like out in the open, so you can invite all these integrators, but then Probot as like a GitHub app you know, servers could then say, yeah, you basically get some little uh, data storage for free as part of the framework, but you can also, you know, bring your own. No problem. Yeah. This is how it works. I think this is the this is the layer where this should happen. Yeah, but, but it kind of seems like they've kind of introduced pieces of ProBot and different, I don't know if it was intentional, but like with GitHub Actions, it became, that became my integration platform. So instead yeah. of building a whole app, like I can just do an action, it works. But then with ProBot, now there's slash commands as well, mm -hmm. uh, which was like always my my first demo ProBot was like, hey, let's just label an issue and do a thing. Yeah. Now GitHub has slash commands where you can just do a thing. Uh, I actually haven't used them yet since leaving GitHub, so I don't know how customizable they are. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I, I, as you say, I work at GitHub, so I kind of bring in the open source and integrator's perspective still wherever I am. So when yeah. I hear slash commands, I'm kind of, trying to hey can we please make it so that apps can register their own slash commands yeah so that you know the open sourced app when you install it you now get like a custom slash customized yeah. slash command and you can interact oh, directly with the app yeah that would be useful but i i was uh, you know not yet successful enough um <laughs> to to get that going but maybe one day it, it took and me about it's it took yeah. me about a year to get enough pool to people yeah to listen to sometimes me. you just have to build stuff hack yeah. it together so that you can show it and use that as leverage, yeah. you know, 
honestly, auto, you know, it it's, it into the product. we want to take a step into how the hierarchy of GitHub works. <laughs> um, my, my secret sauce for working at GitHub, which you can't do anymore because the office is going to shut down, is every Thursday I'd go have lunch in the office or every other Thursday. And that's the Tuesday people get hired. Thursday is the first day when you're hired. You don't have like a thing to do. It's just like your last day of freedom before you go back home. So I would just go have lunch in the office and meet every new person. And then a year into their trajectory, like, oh yeah, you're doing that that cool thing now. Are you working on this project? Get we we met a year ago. Yeah. And then I just get pulled with a bunch of teams and like a lot of PMs and engineers. And then that's how I would just kind of inject energy into things I thought would be important. Uh, which is it's funny to say this out loud because like Looking back, people might be like, oh, yeah, B Dougie. <laughs> There's a reason why he was a Beyonce of GitHub. Like he was behind pulling strings, but not always did it, did it work out. But it was just give first, which we always had like a platform and dev, develop relations to be like, hey, come talk to us. We'll do a thing, come speak at this event. And then it'd be like, oh, we need webhooks for reactions. How can we get that done? Which yeah. unfortunately has not been done yet. <laughs> I asked for it on the day GitHub apps were uh, introduced, I think. Basically, you know. yeah, it, it'd be amazing is to do a heart and really each heart it. is a followed up with like a workflow. Um, yeah. I just had I never there was never a proper PM on that feature that I could talk to and engineers. Not that engineers lost their their sort of pool, but like less stuff went through engineering and went through PMs. Yeah. So if you didn't have a PM, it's harder to get the justification uh, in certain. Yeah, things. but, you know, I mean, it's complicated, of course, but. Um, I will never stop rooting for GitHub. Uh, like my career wouldn't exist without Same. the open source on that on that platform. So even if it's uh, it's hard at times, especially you know like for the past half a year or so, uh, when just people were let go and it was kind of vague, um, and it's still that way. But everyone there, uh, you know, the people are great. Um, but surprisingly, there are not so many people who are actually using GitHub. Uh, outside of their work. Like that is something yeah. that surprised me a little bit, um, which is, you know, yeah, surprising, but it's also an opportunity for me. And I try to like, inject myself into places to make sure that this perspective gets not overseen. Yeah. Know? So GitHub cares greatly about open source, but I think like people like the experience of being a maintainer on open source yeah. sometimes. Um, I want to represent, you know, shout out to all my maintainers out there. I'm fighting a good fight for you. Yeah. And honestly, that's one of the nicest part about being at dev tools and companies that support developers. Like when you yourself feel the pain of like, oh, we moved the button or this <laughs> thing is now set up this way. There needs to be that person that can help shepherd, which the one thing I loved about being part of the developer relations team is like I was part of that sort of shepherding the news and getting in front of folks before things change or before we ship things like Copilot. I got this meet. 20 of the most impactful people in the industry and say, Hey, we have a thing. Would you like to see it before you launch it? And that was like a, a, a thing I loved and enjoyed, but I do also realize like as the company progresses and matures and grows, like there are less maintainers who are engineering teams and sort of fighting the good fight like yourself. Um, and there needs to be more. So like if you yeah. are a maintainer, <laughs> apply for one of the open roles, uh, and then start building up your, your credibility internally and, ship some really cool features. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your thought on the sort of, you'd mentioned uh, you're sort of, you're, you're at GitHub, you love GitHub because of your career, but do you think GitHub ever has an opportunity to like become the second tier solution? 
Because like we have, now we have all this machine learning stuff. Mm-hmm. So like when I think about machine learning, like yes, a lot of people host their stuff on GitHub, but now these all these other tools like Hugging Face and um, Replicate. Um, actually, it's, it's the only two I know, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but now there's other places where people even talk about data science. So do you think there's like a world where GitHub, like people end up doing something besides GitHub? I'm sure they do and they should, you yeah. know, like keep GitHub on their toes. Um, as well Um, but as long as github is the place where community happens and all these other tools are kind of built around it and feed into that um, i think github is in a pretty good good place yeah yeah Yeah, i mean that's true i mean the the beauty is that github keeps evolving yeah so like it's very different github than five years ago (laughs) uh, at least when i joined and i think that if github doesn't continue to evolve then then there's an issue yeah. Like if we're also trying to be the just the Git hosting platform and that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah but sometimes, yeah. you know, it's also contradictory. Uh, like for once I GitHub, we want to be the place for every developer. So we care deeply about accessibility, which is also a blocker for huge organizations and, you know, big corporations where they yeah. have certain requirements. But at the same time, we want everyone to be able to use GitHub. But that slows us down. Like now we're building these features, it takes longer. And also we have this interactivity, which might seem a little bit more clunky sometimes. Yeah. Like maybe you need more clicks than with, you know, linear or like other um, alternative tooling, but they do not adhere to the same amount of accessibility um, certifications than we do. So there is a trade-off and there will always be a space for like smaller places, you know, that have a very tailored, very fast experience for certain aspects of it. But I still think it's the right call um, for GitHub. Like if they're really true to their mission, uh, it is the right call. Even, you know, when it pains me that like I want all these things and it's just so, so slow. And I understand that uh, other things need to be prioritized. But in the long run, it's a, it's the right call, and you know, GitHub has been around for fifteen years or so. They probably will be around for another fifteen years. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. I'm sorry, I'm like making an advertising <laughs> for GitHub now. It's I'm really passionate about the product um, and the people, um, but most of all, I'm passionate about open source. And if yeah. open source moves away to something else, then I will move uh, move as well. You know, and I don't want it to happen. Like this is why I'm within GitHub, and I try to address the problems and the pain points that we are seeing that are growing. It's just, you know, you reach a new foundation, you think you did a good job, but then people find new things to complain. So you gotta uh, keep evolving as you're saying, because other smaller startup companies will come in and, and eat your breakfast. And we should talk about open source more because I yeah. think like everything that open source is doing, I wish get out yeah, let's, doing. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk about open source. We, don't, we actually don't spend a ton of time in these conversations talking about open source, but I know you like what we're doing and yeah. I'm curious to even get your take even recorded on the podcast of like our approach to data insights, but also connecting the developer. So I've been using the term human dependency graph as like you, you see a project like you want to find out who is maintaining, contributing to the project, but also like what your pathway to maintaining, contributing to that project yeah. as well. And that's something that's always been kind of, if you know, you know, but if you don't, then it's like very hard to get in to do open source and, and make a contribution. So like, what's your thought on the sort of state of what we're doing and the current ecosystem? 
I see and I applaud open source efforts to basically be the space to go when you have the questions, how do I contribute to open source? I think like you're very invested in it in both like documentations and tooling and outreach and so on. And that is wonderful and it just becomes ever more um, so important. And after that, there are so many unanswered questions, you know, yeah. like given this transparency, who is behind these open source projects? Um, it is not only relevant to new contributors, it's also relevant to like companies, like are these people, you know, will they be around? Like, is this a company funded project? Is this like some, you know, project run by, by, by students that might like dissolve the group next year or something like that? And then, yeah, where do I promote myself better as an open source uh, contributor um, or maintainer? It now becomes a career path, which I'm super excited to see. Yeah. Like we are starting the first people um, who are able to do this and, you know, they're not very representative. Um, there are certain kind of people who can afford this. Um, but I hope that they are, you know, paving the paths for many other people, more diverse people to follow. And then it is very important um, to have a way to promote the work you're doing beyond what GitHub can do. Because like the green blocks, that's not enough. Like the highlights, I think, uh, feature you have in open source is something um, that makes a lot of sense to me or kind of like the, I think we talked about like how we need like a LinkedIn uh, features, you yeah. know, a system for just open source. Summarize. summarize the work you've done yeah. in a way that's like, it, it's not even just a sort of resume, but it's also like if you're contracting. So like a lot of your work has been dependent on a company paying you for the work that didn't help support your open source. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it, it you have to summarize your work. I don't know how it is for you when you have to summarize, like, hey, I did these 10 PRs. Yeah. But even the, like, unless you're running your own scripts or, you know, generating whatever that 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 form is uh, to submit your work, like that also doesn't exist. Like the the sort of contractor to contributor experience, like in tooling also doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, and I know this. I, I cite this. I know one company in particular who con- has a, a team of contractors they work with to help do upstream contributions, and the the work of just getting them to tell them what have you done, like what invoice us, this invoice us based on the work. Mm-hmm. But as a contributor or, or you know this a uh, uh, independent, you know I write code like let's uh, well, twelve hours. I don't know. Like just throw out a number, but that's even hard for some people because like all they want to do is ship some code. Yeah. But there's no, there's no tooling unless you're a full on contractor and like, this is your thing and you've done it for a while. Yeah. Like yeah. there should be a, a pathway for people to come out of a boot camp or come out of college and just generate an invoice. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this for forever, you know, kinds of our tooling that I hope like open source will adopt. But in general, these are, these are the problems. Like I want to know who are the contributors in the project. Like GitHub has insights, but it's only about code, mostly about code and maybe issues. But there are other means of uh, contribution. And I want to know from the perspective of the maintainers, like through their yeah. kind of weight, weighted, um, you know, through their endorsements, to say like, yes, this is a significant contributor. You know, for example, yeah. like for OctoKit, I started to heart, as you start, you know, using the heart emoji just yeah. to kind of bookmark even comments or pull requests or whatever. Um, and then I had a script and once per month, 
it would need to you know go through massive amount of data to find like these places and and then i have to go through all these urls and like write my reports and say thank you yeah for like oh so you actually you write a thank you report yeah and this is not something you want to automate right yeah. like ci is great for automation like telling people that their syntax is wrong but if you want to appreciate people um, that's not something I want to automate. I want yeah. tooling to help me build this out. Yes. But then I want to go in and not only say, hey, thank you, because here's a link to your comment. I want to say, yeah. hey, thank you. I really appreciate this. You know, this is the impact that you had. Um, it takes much more time, but... But it's be, a meaningful it's, experience. It, it is very meaningful. Yeah. And this is how I think uh, we onboarded several great contributors to different projects over time. Yeah, so I actually wanted to, we do a welcome message mm -hmm. to folks when they um, make their first contribution. And it is automated, but I've always wanted to like track how many welcome messages we send out to do something like a thank you report to be like, hey, yeah. team, like we have a, a triage team and the triage team is like our first first responder basically. And the idea is like triage team, be first responders, like help siphon people into the discord, help them introduce or at mention me and be like oh so and so made a good contribution because like it sometimes we'll get like three of them in a week and yeah. i'll i'll be traveling or something will happen and i just don't know what's happened and so if you ever been a github employee you know your notifications on github <laughs> can be a bit much so it's not as easy just going through your mentions yeah uh, but if i had like a, a a google sheet that was like here are the list and like which ones have i not responded to who have i not like yeah like so up to a point where, you know, I want like a CRM, you know, for my open source project in a yeah. way. And I know there are like other projects who try that where we can kind of keep track of people who contribute. And I, yeah. again, like I don't want mean to automate all this stuff, but yeah. it helps me as a maintainer with the short amount of time to make a decision to into whom can I invest more. Like in Howie, yeah. sometimes I would just go in as soon as there was a good contribution and I would ask them, hey, do you want to do a call? Yeah totally random like and this doesn't scale but it's enough if i would do it once or twice uh per month and many of these were just interesting and then nothing happened but i think most of the contributors who stuck with us for longer are the ones that i had a personal call with or someone else from the team and it's yeah. a great thing you could do but then i also want to write it down like in some kind of private maintenance space like hey i talked to you know jennifer today this yeah. is what we discussed I mean, this is important things that this is things that Jennifer cares about and so on. Yeah. There's I mean, no space for that right now. It's <laughs> honestly, that's even, I honestly didn't even think about this because as you roll off a maintainer, someone else comes on, you know, people have other things to do. And like, if it's all unpaid work, you know, it's, it's right for them to move on and do things. But a lot of time that knowledge about Jennifer goes yeah. off with that maintainer. So like it, there sh should be sort of like a log to be able to say, okay, I I talked to this person. This is our interactions. This is the work they've done. And so when you're usually what happens, it's like, oh, wow, there's a thing we haven't touched in a while. Who knows how to eat this works? And the idea there is like we should uh, we, <laughs> we should um, like have some sort of like list of experts. Like I, I've always wanted to do the um, which I don't know if you know if anybody does this, like the code owners file. Mm -hmm. Like I don't just generate that. Like generate who who are like my top ten people who have touched this folder, and then how can I source like the people I should be reaching out to when I need to start like onboarding people or talking to experts about this particular folder? Yeah, and I think with the a lot of like Lerna and 
which I guess Alerna is still around. I don't remember it, but Turbo is another one. Like all the mono repo projects, just a lot of information yeah. in the one project, which is like, I guess the inverse of where you're coming from, where you built all the sort of micro services to support the one project. It's hard to like find out who owns what. Yeah. And it's very, it's very rare to have the one person who knows it all. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have any institutional knowledge, as you say, and people leave and it's gone. And I don't want like super professionalized open source, but I would like to have an option where like an open source project comes to a certain point. And also many people, many open source maintainer will tell you, what do we need in open source is product managers. Yeah. Like, please, product managers come. But I can understand. Like, they have better yeah. things to do. Why should they contribute to open yeah, source, I mean, you know? That's the thing that I always but I think But I think they're yeah. not even aware how much they are wanted. But then when someone comes, like, what can I give them? GitHub.com is not perfect. I know they're trying with projects a little bit. But there is, you know, tooling that they are used to working with that we don't really have. And I think for this to work in open source, it needs to be deeply integrated with, with yeah. GitHub. And that's kind of the kind of stuff I would I would love to see to create a place for more project and product managers and open source would be so much better for it if we had like contributi- community contributions that really does product and project managers work. And fundraising, man, there is so much. Yeah. You want to fundraise, if you're good at fundraising, all these open source projects, they just need someone to do it and they could raise. Oh, yeah raise a lot of, of money. You just need to know what you want to do with it as well, which is yeah, a whole this different is what discussion. I, I always allude to is like open source is it's really around marketing. It's around product management. It's it's like having all the sorry, open source, the success of open source usually is lined into people doing product management really well or people doing marketing really well. And it's not like you have to be a marketer, mm-hmm. but like anybody who gets up on stage at a JS you like that becomes the market. Like every year you've got stuff you can talk about at JSConf. It's like, oh, here's a cool new React feature or a new view feature. Like that becomes a place that people, they get validation that they, that this is something they could use. But there are so many projects out there that have no, no platform like to go talk about a thing and they don't have, you know, a bunch of nice cameras and <laughs> an, an editor to be able to talk about their project in a way that people could discover it. So then it becomes, okay, they're, could be a pathway or a platform, but then they, even we start looking at all the toolings, like you mentioned open collective in passing, mm-hmm. like for like fundraising, Tidelets, another one, they're all disjointed. And I think there are a good effort of like having the, like the OSI helps like coordinate and have conversations across these ecosystems and organizations. Yeah. But then now it becomes education. Okay. You're a maintainer. You got a hundred thousand stars in one day because of Hacker News. Now what? And then it becomes an education problem where they didn't know there was an ecosystem for them to like plug into yeah. until unless someone reaches out to them yeah man i wish there was a service somehow you know yeah like there is there are like also like maintainer conferences and stuff but yeah it's great to create these forums and you know especially like open collective like they created um uh like a community event basically about um uh, about fundraising and open source yeah. sustainers, sustainers, yeah, stay, wonderful. Yeah. And I met a lot of great other, you know, fellow maintainers there. Uh, but it's quickly evolving, and there are all these tooling and best practices. And as a maintainer, I barely have the time, you know, to keep up yeah. with like security updates. But I do have, at least when a project grows a certain size, I do have potential funding. And if there was like a group of people that would basically come in that are, you know, paid, um, that do not only help 
like they don't need to understand the code. Yeah. I'd rather have social workers, you know, who, who understand communication, um, who help, uh, you know, make sure that uh, there is nothing off track, that code of conduct is enforced, but also who bring in the knowledge of the industry and say, hey, you know what is great to do to import new people? Like organize an event, for yeah. example, and we can help you with that and blah, 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 blah. Right? Yeah. Or like, hey, if you want to fundraise, like here are a few things you can do. Like these are steps. Or to identify pain points and as existing maintenance team, we don't need to do anything. They just go in and implement it. You know, like certain automations and all like stale issues and stuff like that that they could do, which would be great. And one important thing as well is, or two important things is onboard maintainers and offboard maintainers. Like the whole situation of, you know, you are maintaining a project, you're kind of a gatekeeper if you, oftentimes you don't want to be, but also you don't have the time to onboard some random people because you're afraid that like the millions of downloads this package has will fall into the hands of someone you don't know and they could yeah. really cause damage, right? So how to do that? And I, I wish I could do that with yeah. the projects that I maintain, but I cannot do it by myself. Um, and I wish I could, yeah, pay someone to help that, not only one project, but across all my projects. Yeah, it's almost like a, um, I can only think of like whatever the secular terms and not open source terms, like the broker or the agent or it's sort of the, the middle person. And I think if, I don't know if Open Collective or Tylef have like a sort of sales business development person who they reach out to maintainers, they possibly do. Um, but the idea is like, show them the ropes. Like if you're going to take a bunch of money and open collective mm -hmm. like what do you do with it like there should be some training and I, i'm pretty sure they do have something i just never been a maintainer with a bunch of funding yeah um but definitely worth looking at to them for but i, I even toyed at the idea of like what if we had a system of of agents or experts to like shepherd folks and that honestly at github we actually pitched this a few times mm. like what if there was a a role to be the pm for some of the top open source projects that didn't have a backing so like you think of like, um, actually everyone I'm thinking of like has taken funding eventually or something, which is like what hoodie had to go through. Like you had to build a company yeah. to figure out how to be, build a sustainable thing. But like, what if you could just partner with the organization? And honestly, I think like the GitHub accelerator is one of yeah, those, that's great. The yeah. things that came out of it, which is you now have a cohort of projects that have no funding that could take funding, could be a foundation, could just continue to do open source. But like at least they have a next step and they go through 12 weeks of training to come out the end of it of like should this be a company or should it just be like a foundation or should we just set up consulting yeah and that that's a thing that they get to explore through the program yeah that's very meaningful work yeah yeah but speaking of which we, we got to wind this down i appreciate you coming out and having this conversation uh i'm looking forward to benefiting from a lot of your work continually uh, a lot of your open source contributions yeah. and um yeah I'm cheering for the sidelines and I'm your man on the inside. You know? Yeah. So, um, no, very happy. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, pleasure. And folks, stay saucy. Stay saucy. Secret Sauce is a podcast produced in-house by Open Sauce, the open source intelligence platform providing insights by the slice. If you're in San Francisco and interested in being a guest on the show, find us on Twitter at Sauced Open. And don't forget to check out Open Sauce at opensauce.pizza.